Um, it is an awesome, awesome Sunday. It's been a great uh, Sunday so far, a 9 o'clock service. Uh, a lot of smiling faces, just a great time to worship Him. Um, just want to encourage you again, please, please, please be here uh, at 3 o'clock. We'd love to see you in that meeting. Uh, we'd love to have you here in presence so you can uh, just know more about what's going on and know how to pray for the church uh, this upcoming year and just be part of all the uh, new and exciting things that are going to be going on. Um, to borrow a, uh, a line of uh, theology from Smokey and the Bandit, uh, we got a long way to go and a short time to get there today, okay? Uh, so we're going to be in John chapter 13 again this Sunday. Um, last week that we were in John 13, we, we looked at this um, table um, as a small scale, uh, almost sad illustration of, of what their tables look like. Um, we were um, in the passage where Jesus was washing his disciples' feet. Um, he told very clearly in that passage uh, his disciples what he was doing. Um, he clarified um, what, what it really meant. It was, a, it was an example um, of a greater call to love others, uh, to be a part of serving. Um, and, and he continues to some extent a little bit of that tone of the conversation into where we're going to be today in John 13. Um, but, but uniquely, the events around the table at this part of the meal open up a part of John's heart. Not, not John the baptizer, uh, but John, the writer of this gospel, um, it opens his heart to an understanding, a bigger reality. Um, yes, that was my son. Um, a, a bigger reality to really who, um, who he was as a believer in Jesus, what he was being called to. Um, so we're going to spend some time in John 13 this morning, but we're going to see how God uses this to really open up an understanding that he writes about in his first letter, 1 John. Now, um, when you consider what God inspired John to write, there is the gospel of John that paints this very unique and, and accurate picture of Jesus. When he writes his, his letters, his epistles, he writes those not just about Jesus, but, but to the people that he loves so much about what does it mean to really live like a Jesus follower. Now, in many ways, this message is a difficult preach because um, it's so clear, it's so clear in God's word what he calls us to, but it doesn't take us long to really begin to rationalize in our minds, this is not the easiest and simplest and cleanest follow. Um, so as we're in here this morning, um, consider first, I want us to consider first really what God used um, through, the, through the words and actions of Jesus to open John's heart up to have this become um, something that's so concrete for him for the rest of his life. Now, what does the rest of his life look like? Just as a quick idea, John was probably one of the younger disciples. Um, he lived, he outlived all the other disciples. He's the only one that was not martyred. Um, they, he, it was, there's a widely held um, understanding that um, they tried to martyr John, um, but, it, but it didn't take. Uh, they, the, as, the, as church history holds, um, that he was dipped in boiling oil um, and did not get burned um, just through a miracle of God because Jesus had said already in his ministry that John was going to live a long life. Um, and out of the fulfillment of that, uh, which is just in a crazy moment, like I, I, I can see people being so angry um, at a pastor that they would want to kill him. Like I get that part. Um, but to be, to be John standing in what should be burning you alive going, kind of tickles. I mean, like, I don't, like, at that point in time, knowing what God had said about you, like, I'm talking some, spirit, some spiritual smack to somebody. I mean, this is, this is an incredible moment. So, so consider just 
throughout his life, this is, this is towards the latter part of this first century, about 95 AD, after Jerusalem was destroyed, um, there, is, there is no longer this hub of spirituality. The kingdom is spreading all over the world. It's thriving, and John is there still giving wisdom in what God has shown him. Last week, I ended the message with um, a couple of verses, um, verse 18 through 20 out of the 13th chapter, which say this. This is Jesus speaking. I'm not speaking about all of you. I know those I have chosen, but the scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. Truly, I tell you, whoever receives anyone I send receives me. And the one who receives me receives him who sent me. Now, what Jesus is doing here, he's not trying to publicly put Judas on blast. That's not how, excuse me, that's not how God operates. He's, he's simply telling everyone that there is, I'm, I'm about to tell you about a specific event, and it's going to be against me personally, it seems, but he said, I'm telling you this now so that you'll hate Judas? No. Um, so that you'll know I mean business? No. Just, I'm telling you this now so that when it happens, when it comes to pass, you'll realize that I am God's son because I can, I can, I can prophesy and it will come to fulfillment about my life and about others. So he's, again, everything, everything Jesus is doing is trying to really anchor a deeper understanding of who he is and a, and a more confident belief in him, which, which is unique for us because as that, translate in, as that translates into our lives, even in har, har, hurtful circumstances, um, God still is teaching us about who he is, teaching us to have more confidence in how he can work and, and what he can do in our lives. Now, as this continues on, remember, around this dinner table where, um, unlike for us, we, we slide into the table, we tuck our feet and our knees under, and we kind of lean in and lean out of conversation. For them, feet are, feet are behind them, they're on the floor, left arm extended, everyone leaning into the meal, everyone leaning into the conversation. So everything that happens automatically has everyone's attention. Verse 21, when Jesus had said this, he was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Now remember, as they're sitting here, Jesus has, has sat back down at the table. They're not sitting looking up at a teacher. He's there at the table with him. Um, I'm, I'm replacing a couple floors in the bedrooms in my house, so between my back and my knees this morning, th this might be where I have to finish the sermon if I get down here. So, just, just pray for me. If I scream, somebody just start reading in John 13 where I, leave off, where I left off. Now, just so you know, um, it says the disciples started looking at one another. They had the same kind of reaction we would have had. Uh, imagine if you're at a business dinner, um, like Christmas, uh, work Christmas lunch, not the dinner that you bring your spouses to, but, but like the, the meal around Christmas at lunchtime where they're just saying thanks. Imagine if, if the boss, the CEO, the whoever, sits down at the table where everybody around him and goes, hey, um, hey everybody, listen up. Somebody at this table, somebody at this table um, has been embezzling money, um, and I know who you are, and, and it's going to come to an end. That's not the one where you're like, hmm, wonder who he's talking about. Can we get some more rolls over here? It, whether it's you or whether it's not you, you're focused in at this moment. You're looking at everybody's face. You're trying to see, like, who looks uncomfortable now? Who's sweating? Who looks guilty? Who's getting up from the table? You're looking around. And, and they start kind of looking at each other, trying to figure this out. Like, who is he talking about? Because he's specific that it's one. So there's 11. There's 11 that just don't know. Now, 
as it continues on in verse 22, um, it says, uncertain which one he was speaking about, one of his disciples, the one Jesus loved, was reclining close beside Jesus. Now, when John writes the one that Jesus loved, he's always talking about himself. Now, on one hand, it almost sounds a little egotistical. But I want you to think for a second. If you could live your life so confident in how much Jesus loves you, what would that change? I would argue a lot. Like if, if my confidence was anchored in, Jesus loves me, that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily drive you to be egotistical. That love will keep you or keep me humble, but it will, it will drive me to his presence. It will lead me to pray to him like I've never prayed for him before. It will, it will call me to live for him in a way that's really real and tangible. So John was confident in that. John, who Jesus loved, remember, Jesus is sitting down. The, the way the posture looked, again, remember, feet are back here. This hurts more than you can even know right now. Um, feet are back here. You're leaning in on your left arm. I know I'm short. In the back, I'm sorry. Um, leaning on the left arm. So for John to be seated, Jesus is positioned at his left because it tells us what his posture is. Um, it says that, that the one that Jesus loved was reclining close beside Jesus. Simon motioned to him, to find out who it was he was talking about. So in other words, Simon Peter, one of the older ones, he shoots a look at John. John's leaning up to Jesus like this. And John's like, so he looks at him, you know, kind of nods over to Jesus. Like, ask him, like, who is this? And because this, remember, James, um, John, Peter, this is, this is within the disciples. This is more of the inner circle. These are the ones that, that, that know him a little bit better. And they don't know. So this is probably driving them crazy because if anybody should know, it should be one of these three. So this is what John does. So he leaned back against Jesus and asked him. Remember, he, he's sitting right here, Jesus to his left. So he leans back and he says, who is he, he's, not, he's not blasting it out. He's not yelling it. Different personality than Peter. He just simply asked Jesus, Lord, who is it? Who is this person? Now, Jesus replies but remember he's on his left so Jesus is leaning in John has to has to kind of turn his head back a little bit so he's kind of leaned in this way which means Jesus in speaking to him would just be leaning in whispering in his ear and 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 I love just the picture of this scene because it just reminds me that that when there's questions in life really that's what God calls us to he calls us into this really close relationship where we are, where where I'm 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 so close to him I ought to be able to just kind of lean back and go God I don't I don't understand this and because of that closeness, he's just able just to whisper in his words and his truth to me. So Jesus responds. He said, he, he's the one that I, I give the piece of bread to after I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son. So imagine, you're talking about betrayal, ultimate betrayal, and he tells John, listen, I'm going to take a piece of this bread, I'm going to dip it in the cup, and whoever I give it to, that's who's going to betray me. Well, everybody at the table is now making the awkward conversation. You know, when, when news like drops like a bomb, but nobody knows what to do with it, and they just start all the off-the-wall awkward conversations, like this is probably the buzz going around the table, but at this moment, John is locked on Jesus because he is about to reveal to John, not to everybody, but to him, he is getting ready to know who it is that Jesus is going to betray him. Now, everybody's sitting down and reclining at this table, reclining, leaning in. So Jesus takes the bread, dips it in the cup, 
goes over to Judas, and, and, and I can't prove this out of Scripture, but in my mind, everything that Jesus does in this, in this table interaction is that he moves to someone, and then he kneels down. Um, and, and, and I just see him potentially repeating this passage, so, so, or re- repeating this process. So he takes the bread, and he gives it to Judas. And Judas, not realizing what he just told John, not knowing that this gives him away to anybody, just simply takes it and eats it. Probably didn't really trip him up because remember what we don't have recorded in John here is this is still in the environment that we that we're, we're most certain that the that, that the Last Supper that communion was instituted in, and John is just mind blown. He's looking at Judas now. He's thinking back. You, you, you remember when they were at um, Mary and Martha and Lazarus's house, and Judas spoke up and got a little bit agitated about how th- this woman just wasted this really valuable perfume on Jesus. And now John's going, "You got to be kidding me! You're the guy that's been managing our money." And when, so when you were complaining about what she should have done with that, you were probably just thinking of yourself if you're really against him. Like all these little things here and there are now starting to click into his mind, and now he's probably suspect of Judas over everything. But then, maybe in the knowledge of John, maybe not, Jesus doesn't just end it there. This is how he ends it. It, it says that when he um, motioned to him to find out who it was, I'm sorry, let me, let me skip down. I, I read, I, I backed up too far. It says, after Judas ate the piece of bread, Satan entered him, so Jesus told him, what you're doing, do it quickly. Jesus looked face to face with Judas in this moment of decision, with the influence of Satan there. He looks eye to eye and says, what you're going to go do, go do it now. In our understanding of what our understanding can be of our enemy Satan, this teaches us two really valuable lessons that we need to walk in in our, in our Christian life, I believe. Number one is, is that our enemy Satan still has to obey the words of Jesus. He has to obey it. If God tells, tells Satan don't, then he can't. If he tells him it's allowable, then, then he can, but there's a big God purpose to it. I don't want to be tempted. I don't want you to be tempted. I don't want us to walk through that kind of discouragement. But I have to trust, I have to walk in this knowledge that God is still in control of it all. And that if it would ultimately destroy me, then God would not let it happen. But through Christ's strength, teaching me to lean in to Him, He may say, go ahead. But it's all under His control. Now, also understanding that, if if you are... If you are Satan in this, in, in, in this series of events, and this is playing out, and your ultimate goal is to foil God's kingdom, to foil God's plan, then why would you do something that would lead Jesus to the cross to die for sin? If your ultimate goal is to pe- pe- keep people away from God, why would you willfully just go do that if you knew everything that it would do? Because he had the will and the ability to decide to choose to move away from God and not follow him. Well, through Scripture, we, we see that God knows everything. He, know, he doesn't just know past, he knows present, he knows future. Satan doesn't know all that God is leading you to. He doesn't know all that God is leading me to. Which reminds us, the things that he wants to bring into our life, it's, it's to foil generally God's plan, but he can't keep me from where God wants me if I follow God faithfully. We maybe give Satan too much credit sometimes. We maybe act like he's this all-knowing force that could really ruin us at any moment. And we forget that he is under God's control. And he doesn't know all that God is doing. God doesn't give him that privilege. 
So where God wants us to go, does Satan want to work against it on you or on me? Yeah. He's not for God's plan. But he doesn't know so much that he can really destroy everything. Now, John's mind is incredibly open. He's aware of everything. He's listening to details that he might have missed ordinarily. And, and this is the environment of the rest of the disciples. Uh, notice in verse 28. None of these reclining at the table knew why he said this to him. Since Judas kept the money bag, some thought that Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the festival, or that he should give some money to the poor. After receiving the piece of bread, he immediately left, and it was night. So at this moment, Jesus now shifts gears to another conversation with, with John, fully aware of everything. <laughs> John's paying attention like he's never paid attention before. You, you ever been in that moment where you're so focused, especially because you were jarred in, and, and, and life just kind of shook you, and you're picking up on details that you probably would have missed ordinarily? This is the mode that John was in. Jesus says, um, well, when he had left, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him... God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. So in other words, this is what Jesus is saying. He said at this moment, um, he said, God is going to be recognized appropriately for what I'm going to go do because what I'm doing is what he wants me to do. So this act, this death, all of this is for people to be able to see and know God. Children, he says in verse 33. Now, he's not saying, hey, kids, listen. This is not a demeaning statement. Um, this is not uh, Jesus talking about how little they know. Um, some translations that you might be reading from may say uh, little children or dear children. Um, this is a statement of affection. Um, this is like saying um, dear ones that are dear to my heart. Um, when, when he says children, this would not have been insulting at all about how much younger they were than Jesus. This really drew them into, I'm talking to you because I care not just about you, but what will follow this moment. So as he introduces it, even just with that one term. Now, no, uh, just for a, for a little side note, um, John uses this particular word that we have here. The only other time it's used in the New Testament is in John's letters. He addresses people the same way Jesus addressed them. Because in this moment... He's really learning what does it mean and what's the significance of talking to and loving and acting towards people like Jesus is doing it. Because remember, what did he just see? What did he just see? Jesus going to the very one who was going to betray him and, and seemingly almost letting him off the hook. And not even just that, but as he thinks back to what we talked about a week ago, but what was really fresh to him, that Jesus has just washed his feet the same as he did all the rest of the eleven. He says, I am with you a little while, longer you will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, this is not John's version of Jesus talking about the two greatest commandments. This is something separate. Jesus still holds true to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love others as yourself. Now that others is this, this big, just wide sweeping description of everybody that could be around you. 
Jesus here is specifically talking about some, some love that we're supposed to be acting out and living out towards our brothers and sisters in Christ to the point that we are distinguishable from anyone else in culture and creation and society. That people on the outside could look in and go, wait a second, people get along in this world, but that's not normal. That's not average. So as he's opening up the disciples' minds to this, John takes this in in a way maybe that was more uniquely personal than any of his other disciples, and it floods into, I mean, absolutely floods into this first letter that he writes um, that, that we know as 1 John. Now, um, at this point, what I'm going to do is I'm gonna, I want to give you some passages. Uh, these notes won't be on the screen. If you would like these later, I had a few people ask about a couple things after the first service. Um, you could, you're welcome to take pictures of, of this, or, or I can send you something. Um, but we're going to be in 1 John. So if you have your Bible, um, turn to 1 John. I'll tell you where we're going, or if you want to jot some notes down. I'm going I'm to read a little bit of Scripture, and then I'm going to read you really just what the statement of truth is that comes from that. We have 1 John divided into five chapters as we read it in English. In every chapter, there is a real connection to what John experienced decades and decades before at this table. And it absolutely controls the way he sees the world. So I want you to, I want you to walk through some of this with me. The first one um, is going to be out of 1 John, um, the, the, the collection of verses um, is 1 John 5 through 10. I'm, I'm really just going to be reading out of verse 7, um, which says this. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light. Um, John is often in his, especially in this first letter, he's going to refer back to this idea. If we live like Jesus, if I walk in the light like Jesus walks in the light, if I imitate him, if I live like him, he hangs a lot on that. In other words, you could say it like this. If I live like Jesus, then the following will be true. But if I don't live like Jesus, even as a believer, the following will not be true in my life. That's a, that's a clear distinction that he helps us with in, in this letter. If we walk in the light as, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This kind of fellowship, um, many people know this word. It's pretty common among Christians when you start studying the Bible. Um, it's koinonia. Now, this word is about intimate fellowship. Um, it has slightly different meanings depending on how it's used and where it's used, but this particular time, this is intimate fellowship. This is, this is this opportunity to be really sincerely connected with a heart and mind of love in a way that's, that's beyond just what normal humans can interact with. Here's this statement of truth I have for you. Specific fellowship happens when we are living faithful Christian lives. In other words, when I live like Jesus, truly live like Jesus, I can have intimate connection with other brothers and sisters in Christ on a level that I ordinarily won't attain to. I won't arrive at. Uh, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, that as we follow Jesus faithfully, we end up places that we never would have made it on our own. And we, and we miss them when we just simply don't follow Christ. So there is this unique kind of fellowship. Um, now, in chapter 2, um, there's a series of verses that range from, um, in 1 John 2, 1 through 11. I'm not going to read all of these, uh, but just to make a connection, um, one of several times in this book, verse 1 starts out, my little children. It's the same, same statement of affection. Um, I, I'm going to skip down to verse 3. It says, this is how we know that we, that we know him if we keep his commandments. The one who, in verse uh, 6, the one who says 
um, he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Uh, we, we have evidence that we belong to God because there is this inward desire for me to follow what he says. Now, do I, all, do I personally always follow what Jesus says? No, I don't. I fail. I sin. I mess up. I, I would think we're probably all in that same boat. But even this, that inward desire to, to walk faithfully with him and to do something that he commands, that in itself is the evidence that we belong to him. Now, here's the statement of truth. There is a love that comes from God. We can't create it. Um, to be able to love like God wants me to love, I have to live in him, walk in his, walk his path. Um, many of us make the crazy, uh, dangerous mistake in life that we can simply mend relationships by just trying harder to love each other. Uh, many of us might, you, you may have heard this, or you may have said this, that you fell out of love. Well, the problem is really not that we fell out of love, but that we're convinced we fell in it. I didn't fall in love. I tripped over my lust and my passions and just hit my nose, right? I mean, like, it, it's, it's not just this falling. Um, for, for us as believers, we feel like love is something that kind of comes in us and fades out of us. When What we really need to anchor into in this truth that God is love, then the kind of love that I need is going to have to come from him. It's going to have to come from a consistent walk in him. Meaning, um, if I'm dealing with somebody that frustrates me, that I'm angry with, will I be able reasonably, is it a healthy expectation as a Christian to say, I'm going to wake up Monday morning and I'm just going to feel it? No. No. I've got to rely on the one that can provide it, which means it's part of my relationship with him. Verse 7, dear friends, I am not writing to you a new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. He, he's really bringing in very specifically what he observed around this table. Um, and, and he says this, the old commandment is the word you have received, yet I am writing you a new command, which is true in him. And in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. There's two things here I want, to, I want you to kind of hear just from those verses. Number one is this. Loving others shows that we walk faithfully, and our walk does not create an opportunity for another brother or sister in Christ to stumble. When, when we really love well as a believer, when, when the love of Christ is being um, not just put into our heart, but it's coming out of us, we, we live in a way to where um, even the conversations that we have, the decisions we make, the reactions that we have to arguments, all those things, just don't create an opportunity for somebody else in a weak moment to, to fail God and sin because we've just we've, we've loved them so well out of what God has put in our heart. It, it creates a sensitivity that we have to someone and what they may be dealing with because of what God has put in us, not because I'm just that good at thinking of others. None of us, none of us really are. What is it, why, why is it so important to live faithfully? Um, I, I can honestly say this. When I, look at, when I look at my relationship with my wife, Wendy, and, and I look at times where I have, I have failed her, I have not loved her well. And I don't mean just how I feel about her, how I've acted towards her. I, when, when I'm sinning and I'm not doing that in the way that God wants me to do, I can also see that there's other areas of my life 
that, that I'm struggling in spiritually. It shows evidence across the board. When I really draw close to the Lord, it's amazing at how much better my decision-making is inside that relationship. And then that, that, that repeats itself with people you work with, with friends, with everyone. The second thing is this. When, when we don't love, we are blind to the truth. We, we don't have direction. We should, and often, we don't realize the distance that grows between us and the Lord. Um, have you ever been so angry at somebody, so frustrated with somebody that, you, that it's like it, it, it's grown up, and you just—it's like you really can't even see what direction to go. Like you don't even know where to start heading in life. All you know is is just this thing that is just living and kind of rolling over inside of you has just got you stuck where you are. Well, spiritually speaking, this is what the Lord says. He says when 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 that grows in us, as compared to the love of Christ growing in us. Then, there, then there's an element of blindness that we, we're walking around in. We, we, we simply just can't see where we're going. And we're, we're in some ways not really fully aware um, that, that it's not just the distance that grows between us and another person, but because we're not faithfully loving, then that in itself is a sin. So when sin mounts up, now there's a growing distance between us and God. So we don't sense his voice quite as clearly. We don't realize his presence quite as nearly. Um, in, in chapter 3, um, 1 John 3, uh, and this spans, um, it, it just kind of has a whole passage, 11 through 20. Um, I'm going to start in verse 13. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Uh, as Christians, sometimes I, th- I still think when, when we kind of, we catch a little bit of venom from culture, um, for some reason it still shocks us. Like, why, why, are, why are they not on board with what we believe about what the Lord says? Um, it's honestly because it's, it's, so, it's, it's, in, it's in such contrast to what, um, what Satan wants to push the world culture to. Don't be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a, a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Prior to this, if you, if you read uh, from 11 and 12, um, John writes about Cain. He says, you know what? Um, he was literally a murderer. He says, you know why he killed his brother? Because the, the, his, his deeds were evil. In other words, um, you, we don't realize how far sin will actually take us. He was just practicing evil, sinful acts. His brother was righteous. And what happens? It, that, that was the division that, that just continued to fuel his hatred for him. Um, verse 17, it says, if anyone hates, um, I'm sorry, if anyone has this world's good and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God love, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts. Many translations say God is greater than our emotions. And he knows all things on top of that. Um, Four things quickly on this. Um, Number one, we never realize how far sin will lead us. We often cite others' wrongs for justification to not love um, or or running from our own call to love. You know why? And and it, it really is easy. Have you ever noticed that people that it's really difficult to love continue to give you reason to not love them? They're building their own case. 
right? Like they do enough just garbage, just nasty stuff. And, and they just keep adding to the list of valid reasons to just simply not like them, not feel affection for them. They're, they're doing what seems like enough work for us to just go, you know what, I mean, this, this is the reason. If you want to know why, just look at their face. That's hard enough to deal with. Then, then A, B, C, D, E, F, and we just double up the alphabet. And, and, and those reasons are valid. They, they happen. There is no excuse for them. God, God is not making excuse for anyone that, that seems unlovable. He, he is not doing that in here. He's just changing the conversation. Um, the love of fellow Christians is a gift of grace in a world that is not expected to love, celebrate, or accept us as believers. Um, this beautiful thing that should be happening in the kingdom, loving between brothers and sisters in Christ, it is there as a grace gift um, to overshadow um, and, and overflow into the areas where we perceive that there is a world that doesn't get us and doesn't want us to just um, continue to, to propagate the message of Jesus. Um, love has an awareness, um, sacrifice, and protection. As it says in here, if we see a believer that is in need and we don't show compassion into that area, um, then we're not loving with the love of Christ. If, especially when we have enough to meet that need. We have the world's goods. We could take care of it, and we just simply don't. That's, that shows that there's an absence of that measure of love. And then the last one is this. When we don't want to love, when we don't want to love, what do we do when we don't want to love? Because there are times when that, that is the wall we hit. Don't want to love. I want to, I want to reference back real quick. What does it say about God? That he is... Um, greater than our emotions. He knows all things. But, but he also calls us this way, um, not to just love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. Um, what is the truth that we need to anchor into when we don't want to love? That God is greater than the way we feel. God is greater, in fact, than the way we feel. In other words, um, despite my feelings about someone or something, God can work greater over that and greater through that than I will on my own. Um. In 1 John 4, um, uh, the whole range of verses is 7 through 21, um, but just to, to key in on a few of them, in verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him, and he in us. He has given us the spirit. We, in verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Um, I, I, I'm, I created that for my house personally. Um, we have in our house a page out of 1 John that own it. Um, we have written, uh, we love each other because God loved us first. That is, that is the premise of success for mine and Wendy's marriage. Not because I can love her well or she can love me well or I'll ever deserve her love or she'll ever deserve mine. But it just simply is an is a, is a, is a overflow, a second step to what God's put into our hearts. Uh, we want to we, we hang, hang on to that as best we can. Um, it says, if um, we love first because he loved us, and if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. Uh, for the person who does not love his brother or sister, 
whom he has seen cannot love God, who he has not seen. And he and we have this commandment from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Um, four, four things real quickly again. We cannot know God and, and not love our brothers and sisters in Christ. John is inspired by God to write this in as an impossibility for us to, us to say, um, we, God, we love you, uh, but no, not them. Um, he, he's writing this in as an impossibility. Why do you think that is? I, personally, for me, if I apply this to my life, God knows my limitations. And if I have a choice, God, yes, I can love you well. We can be close. But I can disregard this person. I will do it. I will. Because that is the weakness of where my, my decisions take me. My flesh takes me. And, and God really wants to write this in as an understandable impossibility. Why does he want to write that in that way? Because um, loving others completes God's work in us. There will be a limit to how close we can draw ourselves to the Lord when we hate a believer. That will be a spiritual wall that we will battle. And we'll sense, sometimes we'll know it. We'll just go, really, God, I just, I don't feel like I'm close to you right now. I feel like there's this, kind of this wall between me and you. And, and we'll realize sometimes clearly that it comes from that. And sometimes we'll be, um, we'll be kind of numb to that anger, numb to that frustration. And, and we, won't, we, we won't believe that it really exists. We won't, we won't acknowledge that it exists. But it is, in fact, there. Love doesn't wait on someone else loving you. What, what does he say about Jesus? Um, it says that love consists of this. Not that we love God first, but before we did, he acted towards us. If you go back to where I stopped reading in John chapter 13, it's where Peter, Peter foolishly tells Jesus, I'll never, never walk away from you. And he's like, actually, you're getting ready to do it three specific times. And then just so you know that you did it three specific times, I'm going to have a rooster just completely go on blast for you to go, well, crud, I'm a failure. Remember, it's not because we did something first. It's what the Lord does to us, towards us, and in, in us. We love because he first loved us. God initiated this. Now, um, in, in 1 John 5, um, verses 16 through 17, just in 16, it says this. If anyone sees a fellow believer committing a sin that doesn't lead to death, he should ask, and God will give life to him, to those who commit sin that doesn't lead to death. In other words, um, what, what does love want? Love wants restoration, not just for me, but for everybody that's in Christ. We want everybody brought back to him. Love wants restoration. If somebody sins, if I'm aware of somebody's sins, and, and their life is still going on, then, then my commitment is to pray over them and be prepared to be whatever part of that that God leads me to be. Now, I, I, I promise you, I don't preach this sermon this morning. I told you, it's a hard preach. Um, I, I, there, was, there was not enough um, material for my life. There was not enough funny stories that I felt like that, that was fair to put into a sermon like this because we're called to, we're called to love in action and in truth. Um, so I really wanted to present to you this morning really what the truth of God's word is so that as you take that in, you'll know that this is what we're all called to. This, this is the place that God sets us in. But, but, there, but there's value in this. The, if, when, even when I don't want to love somebody, do I want to know God intimately? Do I want to be able to draw as close to him as I can? Do, do I want to be able to um, hear from him clearly about things in my life? Well, if I do on those, then, then I have to then revisit, then what does it mean to love well? Now, 
to end this, I, I want to go into, because Paul, I, I know in his own way, wrestled with this very famous passage on love. Um, and this is a very, um, this is a very clear, defining words on love out of 1 Corinthians 13. I want to read verses 1 through 3. This is out of the message. I, I love the way, the, the, the poetic phrasing of this because it's so clear to us. Um, if I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stakes to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. I don't want you and I don't, want, I don't want to live a life that in any way could have the word empty hung on it. I don't want us to live a life that isn't fulfilled. That's the life that Christ is calling us to, the full and abundant life, the life that is fully resourced for the kingdom, fully close to him. I don't like this, this, this nothing word. But the reality is, is and, and the Bible doesn't, um, doesn't make any um, really question about it, we can, we can do really good things. We can believe well about ourselves. We can donate money. I, I could preach a million messages, and, and it could be the room could be filled with people that go, man, I understand it, the way you put it. I know how it applies to my life. But if I don't really care and love for the people that I'm talking to, then at the end of the career, it's just nothing. God doesn't want us to live with nothing. He doesn't want us to believe or justify or convince ourselves. This is not what we're called to in his kingdom. What are some of the perspectives on love that he does want us to have? Um, again, he, he strips it back very much from emotion. Um, and, and there's a lot of stuff I read, um, if you really want to have a conversation about this, even in the Old Testament about just the perspective of God and how he loves, um, this is just really rich. Um, but in, if you continue on in this passage, it, it says that love's patient, it's kind, uh, it does not envy, it doesn't brag, it's not arrogant, it's not rude. It doesn't seek itself. Or it's, it's not prideful or selfish. Uh, it's not irritable. Um, it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Um, it doesn't find joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth. Um, th that's a sneaky one because it's kind of wordy. I I'll put it like this. Have you ever wanted somebody to do the wrong thing just so you could say they, could do the they did the wrong thing? I have. Good. You know what? Make the, make the wrong decision right here just so I can say, see, I told you, you made the wrong decision. Isn't that horrible? Like, really, when I say it out loud, it just makes me feel like I'm a horrible person. And I am. It rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. Now, but notice this, um, down in verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. There are, there are points in our Christian life where we have to understand. Um, it, it, it's, like, it's like my kids at home. Um, oftentimes they know the rules. They willfully break the rules, but they have a really great explanation of why they broke the rules. Completely justified. And I do the same thing in my life. Well, God, you, you called me to this. You said, let some of the darkness pass, let some of the light shine. But instead of doing that, I, I, I remain in darkness. I don't see the bigger picture I get frustrated, I don't have a direction, but in the end I go, but it's because they fill in the blank. And, and, and there's reason. I mean, the, the, the things that fill that blank, they're not good by anybody's definition. 
But, but growing up means that I don't just explain why I broke the rules, but I realize that those rules are there for, for my good because I do need correction at times. And I do need to see what does it mean to be able to draw close to God and how love depends on that, loving others, loving other brothers and sisters, how, how there's a unique testimony to that um, in the world that people need to see. Just, just really have my mind widening, widened to so much of that. And at the end of the day, what happens? Well, for me, sometimes I just I still don't do it right. My, my goal for today was just to really present the truth of God's word to you so that you could know um, what God says clearly. And, and in addition to that, my, my goal for you is this, is that, that in some specific way, you'll see where there's an opportunity for the darkness to, to, be, to be downplayed, for the darkness um, to, to go away to some measure, and, th- and that for the light to shine and at least equal that measure and even greater out of that, even if it's in one decision. Now, um, the praise team is going to come back up front, um, and they're going to lead us in, in a song for a minute. I, I don't often, I don't often uh, really ask you to come forward. Um, because I, my goal is to never be um, the, the voice of the Lord for you. My goal is for you to understand his truth and for you to really sense what he's doing, hear from him, and know what to do, know how to respond. But I would like for you to consider this today. I would, I would like to ask you to do this. This is, this is something um, that, that around this table John locked, locked into, and it radically changed the rest of his life. It, it does not deny that people will be unlovable or unlovely. It does not require that people do something to earn or to deserve, which means if all of that is true, if all of that is true, this will not always be the easiest thing for us as believers to do, but it will be a necessity to really fully be able to draw close to the Lord. And I believe that our church wants to draw close to God. I believe that our church family wants to follow Jesus. I believe that, that our church family wants to live for him. And this is what I would like for you to do. I, I'm going to pray briefly. They're going to start playing. Um, and, and this is what I would like for you to be willing to do. Um, if, if God has put even just one person on your heart or on your mind during this message, um, or even if you just pray now to say, Lord, um, I, I want you to put somebody on my mind um, that, that, that in loving them in some small way as the darkness would, would fade and, and light would shine um, God that I could draw even just one more lean closer to you realizing how Jesus loves everybody that it's got to come from him that, that you and I can't just try harder to get there on this Lord that I need you I would ask you to do this, that that, that while we sing, to to simply come forward and simply say, God, I I can't do this. I need your help on this. For me to draw closer to you, for me to be able to act in one way as you define love, I need some help. I want you to move as God leads you to. But I believe God is moving us towards himself. And I believe for many of us, we, we simply need to say, God, help. God, help. This is the beginning. This, this, isn't, this, this isn't, I woke up, just got it, got it. There were decades between this table and that letter that John wrote. And I believe that God can get me and you there too. Would you stand up? God, thank you so much. I'm sorry, that was rude. I, I didn't mean just to, like, to order you to stand up. If, if you will, please stand Lord, thank you so much for the time that you've given us. Um, Lord, help us in these moments to seek you. Um, 
Lord, to, to respond to your truth, to live in love and action and in truth. Lord, thank you for what your word says. Thank you for letting us here today. Help us with the grace that we need to receive it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we sing. Amen. As you stand and as the praise team begins to lead us, um, I would ask you to come up as, as God leads.